Love that song. Love those last two songs. Um, he is worthy of it all. And this is the great blasphemy, isn't it? The great blasphemy of mankind. That we have not lived like Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, is worthy of it all. Okay? When, when you're at your greatest moment of temptation, of, uh, of sin, what, whatever, shall we say, your spiritual Achilles heel is, can you import into that situation the fact that Christ is worthy of it all, right? I mean, this is what we've been talking about, that we need to reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. And God willing, through this series, we, we are seeing that we must reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God, or we have wasted our lives and our eternities. This is the clear message of, of uh, the Bible he is worthy of it all. So God hates mere religion. He always has. I looked at some synonyms for the word mere. Um, it means ordinary. It means plain and meager. The, my favorite was insubstantial. God hates insubstantial religion. Actually, religion is a, um, it is a biblical word. It appears in the, uh, in the text uh, a number of times. We know what God means by it. But we also know what men have um, turned it into. Heart dead, brain dead, performance, rote performance. This is what God hates. It would be better, it would be better not to play religion than to play religion. If, we, if, if we've understood the Bible, it's just better not to. God hates it, He loathes it, and He crushes it. If we read, uh, particularly we see that in the Old Testament. You remember what Jesus said, Matthew 23. He pronounced eight woes. Okay, there were eight of them on the religious professionals. Eight of them. You'll remember this. He says, woe to you, you are like whitewashed tombs. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. How shall you escape the sentence of hell? These are the most religious men who have ever lived, period. Many of them had the Old Testament scriptures committed to memory. They, they, they used to say you could, uh, uh, a good scribe, you could stick a dagger into the scriptures and he could tell you, what word it stopped on. I mean, these guys were serious about their religion. And Jesus said, what? How can you escape hell? How will you escape it? You will not escape it. God hates religion. It's, it's Satan's best con. Uh, as we know, John 8, 44, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. And with his religious fictions, he's taking billions to hell. It's the ultimate demonic scam. Obviously, Satan's proudest achievement is the creation and propagation of pseudo-Christianity. I mentioned it. I mentioned it often in here, but it's because, you know, over 18 years, I, I've noticed that a lot of folks come in here pretty naive. And I'm not saying we possess all knowledge. We certainly don't. And we have a corner on the truth. We certainly don't. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of professed Christians that walk through that door and they're a little bit naive. And they think, well, if a pastor said it, it must be right. Or if a priest said it, it must be right. Or if the Pope said it, or the patriarch said it, or the guy in Houston said it, if somebody says it, or one of the famous preachers in Nigeria, right? If, if, 
If somebody like that said it, well, he must be right. He's a good guy. <laughs> what did Paul call these guys? You know, these guys that couldn't get the truth right and didn't care to. What did he call them? Dogs and evil workers. I think that's in Philippians. Paul calls them dogs and evil, evil workers. And that's what I would call them. Dogs and evil workers. It's exactly what they need to be called. So this affinity for me-centered religion, it's, it's a reflection of man's depraved heart. We, we saw it with Adam and Eve. We want it to be about us, right? We want it to be about us. They wanted it to be about them. They want it to be nouns. And as C.S. Lewis says, they can only ever be adjectives. So this is true for us. Me-centered religion is always false. Um, but man has always gravitated to it. I like a little self-righteousness. I like to look in the mirror and feel good about myself. I went to church. I prayed a prayer. I got baptized. I gave a little money. I'm a pretty moral person. You know, feel good about myself. <laughs> this is what religion always is. It's about what I do. What's Christianity? It's about what he did. It ain't about what you do. <laughs> it's about what the Lord Jesus Christ did. So, you know, it's that uh, your average church these days. I'm okay. You're okay. So let me tell you how to have a better marriage. Let me stroke you from the pulpit and tell you how to have a better marriage. There's nothing wrong with having a better marriage. That's not my point. The point is God must be central in his church. He will be central in his church. We know what happens uh, in the Revelation. God just, he leaves. He just leaves the church that will not honor him. It's the Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life and do this formula, but do, oh, don't worry about repenting kind of gospel. That is epidemic in the modern church. So, yeah, it's a lot less bothersome to play religion than to follow Christ. It's just easier to do church. It's easier. I, 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 I know I, I did church for 28 years. It's easy. You just, you know, you have to take a shower and brush your teeth and you go to church and you sit in the chair. That's about it. At least that's what it was for me. It's just easy. It's not easy with Christ. If you know him and you love him and he says what? He always says the same thing. Follow me. He says, follow me. It's not easy to follow Christ. Sometimes it's going to cost. Sometimes people are going to hate you. Sometimes people will leave. They will exit your life and never return. We know what the costs are with respect to the real gospel. So, this is revealed both in the Old and New Testaments. Let me just go to Isaiah and let me read you these words. <clears throat> we see this uh, proclivity for, um, shall we say, religion in both the Testaments. Isaiah says it well. For this rebellious people, their false sons, Sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the prophets, <laughs> I've always been astonished at this, you must not prophesy to us what is right. This is what the people were saying. You must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us in pleasant words and prophesy illusions. That's Isaiah 30, if you want to look it up. This is what the people wanted. They didn't want the truth. They didn't want to hear about God. They didn't really want to hear about it. Stroke me. Pet me. Tickle me. It's what they wanted. And you know, Paul says the same thing over in 2 Timothy 4, 
Paul says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So, I think we're living in that day, obviously, what Paul's talking about, which means a false teacher is coming to a church near you soon. If he's not already there, he'll be there soon. He's coming. He's going to stroke you. He's going to tickle you. He's going to pet you. Listen, when you're, when you're in a church and that's, that's the ambiance you're getting, I, I just lovingly tell you, because I know most of you will be, will be leaving at some point or another, you know you're being scammed. Okay? You know the guy does not love you at all. All he wants is a big church. He just wants a bigger church. He wants a bigger budget. He wants more acclaim. He wants to be written up in the quarterly journal. You know, that's what it's about. <laughs> that's what it's about. Oh, we have such a nice church. Look how big we are. Look at this nice building. It all becomes, as my, one of my seminary professors used to say, flesh on parade. It's just flesh on parade is what it ends up being. Um, so sadly, a lot of people are just fine with a little bit of church as long as you don't pull, as long as you don't go here and look at the real God, right? Don't talk to me about, I don't want to hear about the Old Testament God. Don't want to hear about that God. Okay, next week we're going to hear from the New Testament God if we're going to uh, entertain that vernacular. And it gets worse. You know the words of Jesus, right? It gets worse. In the Old Testament, what we're seeing is what we think is temporal judgment. In the New Testament, Jesus starts talking about eternal judgment. It gets worse. So don't ever let anybody talk to you about the Old Testament God as opposed to the New Testament God. They obviously don't know what they're talking about. But you know, people, people just want $3 worth of God anymore. Give me three bucks. Make me feel good. Let me get through the next week. I got a crisis. I need, I need God to help me out here. I need to, as we've been saying, use God in this regard. Just give me three bucks worth of God. Just enough to make it through the next week. Here's what Jeremiah says about those prophets for hire. Uh, listen, I'm not going to give you all the texts, but again, you're always welcome to my notes if you just email me. These, these excerpts are from Jeremiah chapter 5 and 6. Listen to the Lord through his prophet. The prophets prophesy falsely. Is that not epidemic today? The priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it. The people called by my name, he says, they love that. They don't really want to hear about me. They love that. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach. I looked it up. You know what a reproach is? Disapproval. The people disapprove of the word of God, right? They have no delight in it, he says. The people have no delight in the Word of God. They refuse to take correction, he says. They have refused to repent, he says. Their transgressions are many. Their apostasies are numerous. Shall I not punish these people, God says? And on a nation such as this, shall I not avenge myself? Do you not fear me, says God? Do you not fear me? You go in your average Protestant church anymore, right? You can't even get a faint echo of fearing God. You can't, you can't get a faint echo of that. There's no echo of that. Yes, I know we are reconciled to, to, to this awesome God through the blood of Jesus Christ. I get that. But there's still this sense, as I have said to you repeatedly, the men who saw the glorified Christ, bam. 
It was on their face. We seem to we have no sense of this in the modern church. We have no sense of the angry lamb, Revelation chapter 6. The Lord says, do you not tremble in my presence? He says, I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land. So I want you to listen to this truth. I, I read the two opening texts to you. I want you to hear this truth all the way through the sermon today. Okay. Listen for this repeated reality. It is the chorus of the prophets. It's urgently important for us to understand this. Why has judgment happened? It began in Genesis chapter 3. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Why is it happening? It's because you and I sinned. Our forebears sinned. We sinned in Adam and Eve, Romans chapter 5. We did that. We did that. We noted it a few weeks ago. I asked that simple question. Why, why are there tsunamis? Why do we see these kinds of events in the natural realm? God put us in paradise. Why are we not still in paradise? Again, we've talked about this. We did that. Why was the ground cursed? Which you, you take the connect the dots back to tsunami. Why is the ground cursed? It's because of you and because of me. That's why the ground's cursed. That's why there are calamities, natural calamities. It's a, it's a picture of the eternal calamity. God is faithful to give us, you know, a, a vivid illustration of what eternal calamity looks like. So don't ever play dumb out in the world when people are saying, well, where's God in the calamity? He's in the middle of it. He's doing it. It's a warning that eternal calamity is coming. It's always that. It's never not that. Beloved, we have to have, listen, do, do you know, you claim to be a Christian, do you know that it's your stewardship to know the word and tell your friends, family, and neighbors when you get a question like that, man, you've got to tee off on it, right? You've you got to go off on it in a loving way as best you can. <laughs> Why has this happened? Judgment! And worse judgment is coming, and we'll hear it from the Lord Jesus Next week, again, I'm, I'm going to share these texts with you again. I, I don't want you to forget these as we go through some of the Old Testament prophets very quickly. Jeremiah 4.18, your ways and your deeds did this. It has brought these things to you. This is your evil. This is, these are the words of God, okay? Ezekiel 7, 3 and 7, the prophet Ezekiel says, I shall bring, God says, I shall bring your abominations up on you. Your doom has come to you. So nobody gets to accuse God. <laughs> I know the world loves to accuse God. The media always accuses God. Everybody's accusing God. Well, nobody will be accusing God on the last day. God will bring his accusation against fallen Man, so let's make sure we understand what this is about. It's about our sin. So our principal goal this morning is to hear God speak his words of judgment. We will hear from several of God's prophets as he judges Judah and Israel. And as many of you know who are familiar with the minor prophets, he's also judging some of the nations surrounding them. And also through these judgments, he's also bringing in and making uh, alluding to the end time judgments. Okay. So it's all here. It's all here in the Old Testament 
prophets. Ultimately, this is the word of God to any and all who would arrogantly disregard him. And I have to say this, especially with the Old Testament prophets, particularly those who are guilty of feigning allegiance to him. Israel and Judah feigned allegiance to Yahweh. Right? Listen, don't don't do this. Don't feign allegiance. This is a dangerous game to play with God, as, we, as we're going to see unfold. If you, know your, if you know the history of the Old Testament, um, God is not unclear about how He feels about religious performance. As I said earlier, He loathes it. He loathes it. I want to say it one more time. He loathes it. He hates religion. So we need to be able to take this lesson away. God is judging a people who claim allegiance to Him. And this is not a slap on the wrist. It's as far from a slap on the wrist as you can get if you're familiar with the Old Testament prophets. So I, 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 want, I want us to hear this. I, I, again, let me say this and we'll get into it. What we're seeing in the physical realm is a picture of what's true in the spiritual realm. God does not tolerate religious games, right? He does not tolerate sin. He does not tolerate being ignored and for people to be indifferent to Him. He does not tolerate this for long. He is a long-suffering God. But at some point, judgment will fall. So we should get some sense of, you know, the, 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 the ramifications in the spiritual realm. As we look at this great wrath that's poured out in the physical realm, we need to understand that it's also mirrored in the, in the spiritual realm, which is what Jesus is talking about, eternal conscious punishment. As I quoted Piper a few weeks ago, when you study the judgment of God, it's supposed to be a wake-up call for you to understand, for me to understand how heinous our sin is. It should be a wake-up call. I'm going to say it. God is judging a people who claim to be His. Okay? I'll say this three times so you don't forget. God is judging a people who claim to be His. God is judging a people who claim to be His. But we know they're not really His, are they? Or they wouldn't live like they live. It's, it's just New Testament. You know, it's a changed life. Old Testament, it's a new heart. <laughs> Everything changes, right? They're not really His people. Or they wouldn't be involved in idolatry. They wouldn't be involved in giving their affections to something in the world. They'd be always and utterly giving their supreme affections to their Creator and their God and their Redeemer. So let's listen to a couple of the Old Testament prophets. There's no way you can follow me, so I just want you to sit back and listen. I want you to let the words wash over you. If you want to, hey, if you want my notes, you'll get my notes. If you want to sit down and talk to me about it, that's fine too. Whatever you need. I'm here to serve. So this first prophet, I'm just going to give you some, some words out of, out of this uh, very short prophet. 
prophet Joel. It's one of the first sermons I ever had to preach. I was assigned, you got to preach Joel. It's like, yeah. You know, it's three chapters, as I recall. Um, I'm just going to pick out some random words. This is the judgment of God. When God shows his wrath. The first word is wail, mourn, ruined, destroyed, lament, destruction, desolate, tremble, thick darkness, gloom, consuming fire, anguish. And there's one phrase that I wanted to share with you out of Joel. All faces turned pale. You know, again, I know I've said this repeatedly in the series, but it's just true, right? You live in the world, you watch the media, you interact with people, and you realize there is absolutely no fear of God out in the world. No fear of God at all, right? You read these Old Testament accounts, and you got people's faces turning pale. And you're going to hear this. Their, their knees will knock. Their hearts will melt. You're going to hear this in some of the, some of the verses. Um, it's a great folly that there would be no fear. Hosea. The book of Hosea, we see God's Romans 1 judgment that were present in the judgments of Pharaoh and the Canaanites, which we've talked about the last few weeks. In Hosea, God withdrew. This is the point I've tried to make to you over the last few weeks. There is a point where God withdraws from a haughty people. He just does. Okay? He withdrew from those who preferred sin over fidelity to Him. They exchanged the glory of God for idolatry, Romans 1.23. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, Romans 1.25. They did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, and God gave them over to a depraved mind, Romans 1.28. So here's some words from Hosea. God says, their deeds will not allow them to return to me. You get that? <laughs> if you persist in sin, there's a point where you cannot repent. You've been given over. It's God's prerogative to judge you at any moment. You may still be walking around, but you're judged. We saw this with Pharaoh. He's still walking around, but his heart, his, his heart was hardened, right? Continuing with Hosea, For a spirit of harlotry is within them. They will seek the Lord, but they will not find me. Now, that's, that's a pretty sobering passage right there. You don't get to just come at your convenience. You come at His convenience, right? Man, we have dumbed Him down to such a degree. It's shocking in the modern church. The, the modern pulpit is shocking. It's stunning. These guys are going, God's going to land on these guys, right? And unfortunately, women who now presume to stand in the place that God has ordained for men alone. Hosea continues, He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt treacherously against the Lord. Woe to them, they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they have rebelled against me. They have gone into deep depravity. Therefore, a tumult will arise among your people, and they will be held guilty. She has rebelled against her God, talking about Israel there, they will fall by the sword. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a, a, a passage from a verse from the Bible. You're all going to hate it, right? And I, I, it's maybe the hardest verse in all the Bible as a human being to, to receive. This is in Hosea. 
The little ones will be dashed to pieces and their pregnant women will be ripped open. That's hard, right? That's hard for us to hear. Likely, again, it's the hardest passage in all the Bible. Yes, it's terrible. It's awful. It's heinous. It's horrific. Just like your sin is. You're supposed to get the picture. This is like what your sin is to a holy God. Your revulsion to that atrocity is akin to the revulsion God has against you when you love something more than him. Right? This is what God is saying in that Jeremiah and Ezekiel passage. This is your evil. You unleashed evil. He didn't unleash it. You did, and I did, in the garden. They ate it. We ate of the, tr- uh, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We unleashed it. Evil is not a created thing. Evil, biblically, rises up in the heart of the good creature who turns away from goodness and embraces evil. You don't get to blame God for atrocities. The blame sits squarely at our feet. Don't blame God. Own it. Own it. Okay? And you need to be able to talk about this to people because somebody that's actually read the Bible, an unbeliever that's read the Bible, they're going to come to you and they're going to ask you about this. Why does God let this happen? This is awful. The little ones are dashed to pieces and the pregnant women are ripped open. This is awful. Again, this is the consequence of declaring our independence from God. So we don't get to blame God, period. When you hit a hard text, I want you to never forget this when you hit a hard text. I I never want you to forget Jeremiah and Ezekiel's words. Your ways and your deeds brought this to you. This is your evil. These are your abominations. Now, you can accuse God if you want. You you, you can do that. I, I know that most people do, even people who call themselves Christians. They want to accuse God. But you can talk to him about it. You know, when you when you meet him on that last day, although I know you won't be talking to him about it, you'll be on your face. If you have to stand before the angry lamb, there won't be any talking going on. There'll just be judgment being pronounced. The prophet Micah, it was a prosperous era, much like ours, I would say. God not only speaks to Judah, but to every nation that is in revolt against him. Listen to the words of Micah. Behold, God says, I am planning a calamity. Then they will cry out to me, but I will not answer them. These are people who profess to belong to God, who've gone into deep sin, right? Even into idolatry, which if you love something more than God, you're an idolater too, right? Me too. That's the definition of idolatry. You don't have to bow down to a piece of wood. You're bowing down to your career. You're bowing down to your money. You're bowing down to pleasure, whatever it is, you know. Um, We understand that. That's what uh, the... Bottom line definition of idolatry is. Micah continues, God will hide his face from them because they have practiced evil. You just can't miss this. It always comes back to us. It's always coming back to us. Don't let anyone get away with accusing God of atrocities. 
We did it. The only reason there's atrocities because we ate of the tree. That's the only reason there are atrocities. And don't let anybody in your orbit get away with saying anything any different than that. Shame on you. Shame on me. If we can't stand up and say what the truth is. God says, I will execute execute vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations which have not obeyed. Therefore, I will give them up to destruction. God says this has been brought to you because of your deeds. Zephaniah, the prophet Zephaniah, he spoke judgment to Judah and he referenced God's ultimate reckoning for all nations at the end of, it, of the age. God says, I will punish men who are stagnant in spirit. Now, what verse, what New Testament verse does that make you think of? I will punish men who are stagnant in spirit. What, what New Testament verse does come to, comes to mind? Anyone? God says, Jesus says what? What does he do with the lukewarm? Are you lukewarm? I'm kind of sure you guys are probably not lukewarm, or I don't think you'd, you could bear up under what I do, right? Because, uh, yeah, I, I know I'm... And this is a hard series. I acknowledge it. But... Um, Jesus said, I'll spit you out of my mouth. So God says, I'll punish men who are stagnant in spirit. Those who do not trust the Lord. They do not draw near to me, he says. Indeed, my decision is to gather the nations and to pour out on them my indignation, my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. This is the universal nature of God's judgment. Nobody gets away with anything. He's talking about the whole world here. Nobody gets away with anything. I get to say this to Karen all the time, you know, because sometimes you can't believe that's happening and this guy's doing that. He ain't getting away with it. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. Nobody gets away. You don't get away with one. You don't get away with one white lie. If you're outside of Jesus Christ, you don't get away with one white lie. Not one. That's how holy God is. And if you're guilty of a white lie, the only way you could ever be forgiven is through the shed blood of the Son. That's how heinous your white lie is. I hope we're getting some deep appreciation for what uh, what we're hearing here. Nahum. Nahum has one of the hardest, or shall I say, strongest verses about, about who God is in judgment. Let me, uh, let me read this to you. He pronounced judgment, Nahum pronounced judgment on Nineveh. He says, God is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? The mountains quake, the hills dissolve, the earth is upheaved by the presence of God. Hearts melt, knees knock, anguish is in the whole body. That, 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 that phrase struck me this morning. Anguish is in the whole body. It's a description of hell. All faces are grown pale. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord. Can it be any worse than that? 
What's the worst thing that can happen in the human experience? That your creator is against you. I'm, all, I'm just, ast- I'm always astonished. Your average man just seems to be oblivious to these things. Again, a thinking man has to know there has to be an adequate first cause. What is the adequate first cause? There's only one on the, you know, there's only one that can be found. The creator God, the biblical God. There is no other adequate first cause. And if there's an adequate first cause, I got to figure out what I need to do to be reconciled to that adequate first cause. The superficiality and the insanity of, of mankind, it's just, it's just, it's unbelievably stunning. It's unbelievably stunning. Zechariah, he describes an obstinate people through their willful sin and stubbornness that has lost the ear of God. Sevenaya writes, here, here it goes again. They made their hearts like flint so they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord spoke. They did it. They did it. And it came about that just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I will not listen. You're not going to hear this in your average church in America. I mean, I'm an American, so I don't know where you come from. You're never going to hear that. You're not going to hear that God's not going to answer you. You're never going to hear it. God's not going to answer you. If you've been, you know, in rebellion all your life against God and you've stiff-armed him, you, you know all about Jesus, but, you know, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to bow my knee yet. I'll do it later. Just forget about it. Yeah. Just forget about it, right? God says, I will not listen. It is a dangerous game to take God for granted. So Isaiah, right? Isaiah. Isaiah foresaw both the consequent catastrophe of Judah's idolatry as well as God's end times judgment. How many, I think there's, is there, how many chapters in Isaiah? A lot. We're going to do it in three minutes. Okay? There are a lot. 66, there it is. Listen to, listen to the, the prophet wail for the the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the almighty. All hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming cruel with fury and burning with anger. The heavens will tremble. The earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. They will be terrified. You know, the book I wrote on, on the wrath of God, the, the, the subtitle is Wrath, Vengeance, Recompense, and Terror. I wanted to try to find a way to get horror in there because I, I think your average, your average churchgoer has no clue that the word horror appeals, appears 29 times with respect to the judgment of God. 29 times. But I, 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 it threw off the ambiance. So I, couldn't, I couldn't put it in there. We're not just talking about terror. We're talking about horror. These are the words of God. Isaiah continues, I will be relieved of my adversaries. God says, I'll avenge myself. And he says, woe, which is the equivalent of damnation to them. He says, woe to them, for they have brought this evil on themselves. There it is again. For they have despised the word of the Holy One. On this account, the anger of the Lord has burned. The earth will be completely laid to waste. 
You can't miss this course. They brought this evil upon themselves. Isaiah continues, Burning is God's anger. Trembling has seized the godless. The Lord has a day of vengeance. According to their deeds, He will repay. How many times can they say it? I'm hoping that you understand it and you're hearing it. Wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. God says, I will trod them in my anger and trample them in my wrath, for the day of vengeance is in my heart. Okay, Ezekiel in three minutes, 48 chapters. He spoke graphically to both Israel and Judah, their mutiny against God. Yes, a people who claim to worship him, a people who claim to worship him. Where does judgment begin? Is it in Peter? It's in one of the letters of Peter, I think. Where does judgment begin? With the people of God, right? With the church. When judgment begins, it begins with the church. It will begin there. And I think it's one of the letters of, of Peter. And Ezekiel says something beautiful here in chapter 3, verse 27. This, this, is what, this is what I want. This is what I hope for you. He who hears, let him hear, right? He who hears, let him hear. He refuses to hear, let him refuse. Do you refuse to hear? It's on you, man, right? It's on you. This is the way God talks about it. God speaks through his prophet Ezekiel. He says, I am against you. My eye shall have no pity. Now, again, your average churchgoer today has no idea that God actually says, I'll have no pity. He says it about a people who claim to worship Him. In my view, <laughs> this is a sermon that needs to be preached in every church around the world multiple times. We just have cheap grace, don't we? We just have cheap grace. Yeah, I'm a churchgoer. I'm a churchgoer. Church Come on. God loves me. You know God's proud of me. I go to church. God says, I will not spare. I will make you a desolation and an object of horror. I will execute judgments against you in anger, wrath, and raging rebukes. I shall judge you according to your ways. Again, a disaster is coming. And though they cry in my ear with a loud voice, I will not listen to them. There's a lot of profit, profit in reading the prophets. There's a lot of profit. There's a whole lot to learn. Ezekiel continues. Utterly slay, O men, young, uh, young men, maidens, little children, and women. I know you hate that. My eye will have no pity. I shall bring their conduct upon their heads. There it is again. I shall enter into judgment with you face to face. Every heart will melt, and you will know that I am the Lord, and I have poured out my wrath upon you. There will be terror. Ezekiel continues, I, the Lord, shall not relent, and I shall not be sorry According to your ways and according to your deeds, this has come to you. And I will execute great vengeance. I will bring terrors upon you. And in my zeal and in my blazing wrath, all men who are on the face of the earth will shake in my presence. Amen. And I watch the stuff, the garbage that goes on. And these men who are haughty and arrogant before God, and they are, you know, not... Um, they're not honoring God in the position of authority that they've been giving. Wrath will come. You know, we're all, we're all accountable. Husbands, wives, children, presidents, popes, prime ministers, journalists. You're, everything, 
every job's a stewardship, right? Teacher, engineer. Maybe the most important stewardship, mother, right? So, they will know that I am the Lord. Jeremiah proclaimed doom on an apostate, idolatrous Judah with multiple allusions to the end time judgment. 52 chapters, 3 minutes. God says, and I will pronounce my judgment on them concerning all their wickedness whereby they have forsaken me. Again, all their wickedness. Um, You've walked after emptiness and become empty. Have you not done this to yourself? Okay, it's right here in Jeremiah. Have you not done this to yourself, right? Forsaking the Lord your God, yet my people have forgotten me. Behold, I will enter into judgment with you. Again, the people who claim to to, uh, worship Yahweh. God says, shall I not avenge myself? Jeremiah continues, Here, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people. Behold, terror, they refuse to know me. It's on you, it's on me. They refuse to know me. I will send a sword uh, after them until I have annihilated them. Though they cry to me, yet I will not listen. I will not show pity, nor be sorry, nor have compassion, that I should not destroy them. We've seen this already. Once God is is, uh, provoked, His judgment is unstoppable, and it's unrelenting, and it's exhaustive, right? We've seen this in Egypt and in Canaan. Jeremiah continues, I shall pour out their wickedness on them. You can't, okay, if you don't get this point, I don't know what to say to you. (laughs) If you don't get this point, I shall pour out their own wickedness on them, and I shall make them an object of horror, and fire has been kindled in my anger, and it will burn forever. A clear allusion to eternal conscious punishment. I will destroy them and make them a horror. I am going to set my face against you for woe, damnation. I am going to bring terror upon you. We know Jeremiah writes the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations, just a couple of quotes from the book of Lamentations. For the Lord has caused her griefs because of the multitude of her transgressions. How many times is God going to have to say this for you and I to understand? Don't you grow weary of people accusing and blaming God? It's one of my pet peeves. It, it almost, I feel like my head's going to explode sometimes. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, you know, can you not rub two thoughts together? Right? In the day of God's anger, He will not spare. He will not restrain His hand from destroying. There's no one who escapes or survives in the day of the Lord's anger. You have slain and not spared, the prophet says. You have recompensed them according to the work of their hands. You will give them hardness of heart. Your curse will be upon them. You will pursue them in anger and you will destroy them. That's Lamentations chapters 1 through 4. So, in closing, what's left to say? Here's what I want you to hear. For anyone who wants to call themselves a Christian and then say, God's not like that. God's not a God of wrath, vengeance, recompense, and terror. He's not like that. God's not like that. To say that is to just outright deny the Bible. There is no way a true Christian can talk like that. You are not a Christian if you talk like that. 
Now, you might be a cultural Christian, but you are not a born-again believer because you have just blasphemed the Word of God. You've blasphemed God. The thing God says He is, you say He's not. Is there a greater insult? Can you insult God more than that? Well, maybe so, but that's huge, right? You've just blasphemed the character of God. You're saying, I don't like that part of you, God. I reject that part of you like it matters to Him. What you reject, it's just true. It's just true. You know, two and a half pounds of gray matter up against juxtaposed to infinite mind, and we want to question God, and we want to accuse God. Beloved, it's always, it's always Isaiah 66 too. It's always humility, contrition, and trembling. It has to always be this, right? So you can't be a Christian. I don't care how often you attend church. I don't care how many prayers you pray. I don't care how many ordinances you've done. I don't care how much money you give. I don't care how moral you are. If you reject God's word, you are not a Christian. You may be some denominational member, but you are not a follower of Christ. I say that to you with all concern, if that is the box you fall into. People like this have discounted the word of God. They have discounted it. They have edited it. Can you think of anything more arrogant? So thankfully, Yahweh is a full disclosure God. We are not left to grope for truth in a vacuum. He has spoken clearly. Yes, he's an awesome savior. Amen. Praise God. We'll proclaim it forever. He's an awesome savior. But the thing that needs to be proclaimed right now today is he's a dreadful judge. And he's going to judge first his people who claim allegiance to him and then the world. He's going to do it. Just like we heard in the Old Testament prophets. He's not shy about it. He will do it and he'll be glorified in it. All the men and women, boys and girls on the face of the planet will know that I am God when I bring judgment. We've heard this over and over and over again in this series. Our God blesses and our God ruins. He lavishly gives and in judgment he takes away. He brings eternal joy, and in judgment, He brings infinite terror. Okay, I'm talking to you like adults. I'm talking to you like you can actually read your Bible and understand it, right? <laughs> I'm talking to you like this is true of you. Here's a verse most likely to never be preached in the next church you go to, okay? God says this to the Exodus Jews through Moses. Listen to what he says. I still remember hitting this verse for the first time. It was a little stunning to me. It was stunning to me at first. Listen. And it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you. Now he's talking to the Exodus Jews. God says to the Exodus Jews. And it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you. So the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you. We've been saying it through the series, right? God does not value the life of man, woman, boy, or girl over His own glory. He will be glorified in judgment. 
So God gives life and He kills. He's pure delight and He's comprehensive horror. He is faithful to His Word concerning His promise of blessing and His promise of judgment. This is the potter's right. As He is pleased to display His glory in both His kindness and severity. And I'll just close with this. God's real short answer to those who would complain about His fierce wrath. It's so simple. And it's going to, I think, punctuate and put an exclamation point on all that I've been saying to you throughout this series. Because there may be one or two of you out there that still, you still don't think your sin's that big a deal. You just, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, I shouldn't do it. It'd be better for me not to do it. But listen, after all this judgment I've read to you this morning, and all the judgment we'll talk about next week, from the lips of Jesus, okay? Um, what is God's answer to those who protest about His fierce judgment? Listen to how simple this is. I do have this text. Lamentations 3.39. Lamentations 3.39. Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his what? What do you think? Why should you complain in view of your what? In view of your what? Sin. You want to complain against God? God says, because of your sin, you have no standing. You have no standing. I'm going to read it one more time and I'm done. Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sin? Let's pray together.